to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and subbing this week for the Missing Irredeemable Shag is our pal, Ryan Daly. Ryan, thanks for doing the show. Happy to be here. Happy to, well, to step in and fill in for, you know, what's his name? <laughs> exactly, what's his name? Who cares? He took the week off. So, uh, yes, Ryan is here because we are going to talk about a very fun issue of Justice League of America, one of my all-time favorite issues of the series. Uh, as you might guess, it's an Aquaman-centric issue. But before we get to that, we are going to have a word from our sponsor, which is, of course, In Stock Trades. Uh, this episode is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with the free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Ryan, what do you have? Um, well, first, this is this is kind of my first real in-stock trades recommendation that I've done. Um, I, I kind of did one when Frank and I hijacked your show for the 150th <laughs> episode, which, by the way, I was pretty sure was going to be the final episode of this show. <laughs> it's I, like I, those series that, that, that end with like a spinoff or another show and it doesn't work. Uh, you know, like one of my favorite lines from the TV show Community was uh, Donald Glover said, there was an episode of Happy Days where a guy literally jumped over a shark, and it was the best one. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so I, I was trying to think, you know, what am I going to recommend for in-stock trades? Am I going to do a Justice League-centric book, a Black Canary book, a Star Wars book, you know, something that I'm kind of known for? And I decided to go completely in the opposite direction. Um, recommend something that is not really superhero related at all, uh, but it's probably my favorite book that I've read in the last couple of years, and it's the Complete Essex County Trade Paperback. It is written and illustrated by Jeff Lemire. Now, Jeff Lemire is one of the kind of hot young writers going on at DC and Marvel right now, but I don't know if a lot of people know that he was a cartoonist. He got started in Canada, and he kind of just started releasing these different stories, and this is going to sound pretentious as hell, but these I would consider to be graphed literature. You know, these are real human stories. They're not, you know, grand adventures. They're not genre fiction. 
Um, I liken the stories in this collection to something like movies like Stand By Me or Fried Green Tomatoes, very coming-of-age type of things about a small town in rural Canada. Uh, the book itself is published by Top Shelf, 510 pages. Whoa. Uh, right now, it's 30% off, so it's about $20 instead of its normal retail price of $29.99. They are in black and white, but the pages are just gorgeous to look at. His style is so unique. It's so expressive. And uh, I'll just read you the little in-stock trades blurb for it. The Complete Essex County collects Jeff Lemire's critically acclaimed and award-winning trilogy, Tales from the Farm, Ghost Stories, and The Country Nurse, into one deluxe hardcover volume. Also included are over 50 pages of previously unpublished material, including two new stories. Set in an imaginary version of Jeff Lemire's hometown, Essex County is an intimate study of an eccentric farming community and a tender meditation on family, memory, grief, secrets, and reconciliation. With the lush, expressive inking of a cartoonist at the height of his powers, Lemire draws us in and sets us free. Uh, like I said, I can't recommend this book enough. It's it's different. It reads more like you know, kind of the conventional novels that you would read in school, uh, but it's a nice little deviation. Although it does have some ties to what we would usually cover on the show with superheroes. There is a story about a boy who goes to a gas station and picks up copies of Justice League and The Flash, and then starts creating his own comics. It's a little bit autobiographical in that way. So very cool. Yeah, definitely check it out. Great. All right. Uh, yeah, for my choice, uh, a little more conventional, uh, now that Ryan has shamed me. Uh, we're going to be doing Showcase Presents Justice League of America, Volume 6, which collects JLA numbers 107 through 132, which means it contains the very comic that we're going to be talking about tonight. Stories by Lynn Ween, Dennis O'Neill, Carrie Bates, and others. Art by Dick Dillon, of course. Uh, the cover features the JLA and the JSA and the Freedom Fighters. Can't beat that. Normal price, nineteen ninety nine. Instruct trades price ten dollars and ninety nine cents for five hundred and twenty eight pages. That's forty five percent off. Super great deal. You can't beat uh, Justice League of America. You know, Bronze Age, Silver Age, mm-hmm. Justice League stuff. So, uh, for this and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InstockTrades.com, and we thank them for their support. Uh, we also want to mention our other sponsor, uh, which is the Only Living Boy from Paper Cuts. Get ready for a high adventure with the new children's adventure series, The Only Living Boy. Harvey Award winners David Gallagher and Steve Ellis, critically acclaimed web series to print, is now a riveting graphic novel exclusively from Paper Cuts. When Eric runs away from home, he finds himself lost without his memory on a patchwork planet under a broken moon. He may be the only living boy, but he's not alone. The world is filled with dangerous creatures fighting to decide who is the hunter and who is the hunted. He'll need help from mermaid warrior Morgan and Thea, an insect princess, to escape the foes pitted against them by the dreaded lord of Balakar and the fiendish doctor once. Can Eric defeat their evil plans and find his way home? Mental Floss calls Only Living Boy, an all-ages adventure book inspired by Pope Serials, Saturday Morning Cartoons, Jack Kirby, and even the music of Paul Simon. The Only Living Boy Volume 1, Prisoner of the Patrick Planet, is on sale in bookstores everywhere on March 8th. Learn more at olbcomic.com. So, all right. Well, we're getting, we're ready, I guess, right, to talk about Justice League of America number 122? Absolutely. Now, before we start, uh, what is your, like, do you know, are you familiar with this comic? I mean, did you have this growing up as a kid, or are you coming to this sort of new? No, I, I mean, I read it probably about a year ago, um, because it was, it was one of the few Justice League comics that was, uh, that was on Comixology. Um, and after I, 
I had read a bunch of the early stuff through the Showcase Presents versions, and then I started getting a lot of comics digitally. And I actually had the issue right before this, which was 121, which was the wedding of Adam, Adam Strange, Strange and Alana, right? right. Uh, which I love that issue. Um, but I could never find the issue before that. And I went on Comixology, it was like, hey, it had the issues before that, and it had the two issues after that. So I got that one, and I got this one too. So I first read this about a year ago. Um, and I had a blast with it. I mean, it's. As we will see once you get into the story synopsis, it's one of those issues where if you if you can accept the silliness of the time <laughs> that this book was written, if you just if you buy the premise, it's a lot of fun. But, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, like I said, the story in question is the Great Identity Crisis, Justice League of America number one twenty two, cover dated September nineteen seventy five. It features a great Mike Grell cover of Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Adam, and Green Arrow at the grave of Aquaman. What? What? I know. And it says, here lies Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, true identity unknown. So, of course, when I saw this comic as a kid in a in a, um, a, a comic book shop, one of the, f- the first comic shop I ever, I ever uh, found, I bought this one immediately because, you know, hey, man, Aquaman's going to take center stage. So, anyway, the story's by Martin Pascoe, Dick Dillon, and Frank McLaughlin. Uh, from the opening page, we learn that this is an untold tale from the JLA casebook. It opens with the JLA kicking the butt of some giant ice creature. Just another day in the DCU. Uh, since the JLAers are near Superman's fortress... The team decides to take the creature there for safekeeping. After the JLA departs, we see the creature changes shape, easily escaping the cage Superman has put it in. This mystery man then picks up some amnesium from Superman's armory and shoots a ray gun through it, wiping out the memories of the JLA or civilian identities. He remarks that it won't work on Superman, and Aquaman doesn't have a secret ID, but he has other plans for them. Uh, this guy then fires at them again at the JLAers, scrambling their memories, so they falsely remember who they are. Green Arrow thinks he's Ray Palmer, etc. Superman and Aquaman notice the guys are acting funny, so they decide to trail them. While in the deep, dark ocean depths, Aquaman comes across a lanternfish, but we see that the fish is a decoy, a trap of the villainous Dr. Light. The fish explodes, and Aquaman is presumed dead. Meanwhile, the various JLAers, Green Arrow, Green, Arrow, Green Lantern, Batman, Adam, fall prey to death traps, that uh, were who they think they are, they could have escaped. Dr. Light, holed up in the fortress, starts putting together his master plan into place, involving mirage doubles and other stuff. The JLAers show up, having escaped the death traps. Dr. Light is confused, but at least he killed Aquaman, right? Wrong. Aquaman grabs Dr. Light and he says, Who am I, chum? A ghost? Dr. Light explains, How did you escape? And we learn that Aquaman, just before he talked to the uh, lanternfish, realizes that the lanternfish belongs, it does not belong in the Arctic waters. Sending out a telepathic message to communicate with it, he forces it to explode, realizing it's a trap. He heads back to the Fortress of Solitude, talks to Superman's computer, which helpfully tells him that the ice monster is a disguised Dr. Light. And he will, his plan is to change the JLA, destroy the JLA by exchanging their civilian identities. Aquaman then uh, turns out he uses his rarely used civilian identity of Arthur Curry, dressed in a very nappy suit with a fake mustache and sunglasses. He looks fantastic. He finds Oliver Queen and Ray Palmer and helps them out of their jams. Superman then rounds up Batman, then the Flash, who then saves Green Lantern, and now all the JLAers are back. Dr. Light activates his mirages, as well as wrapping soups and some kryptonite rings. Aquaman uses Superman's cape to round up some of the mirages, then saves Flash, who is being trailed by some antimatter mirages and will kill him if he stops running away from them. By having Barry vibrate through the cape, through Superman's cape, which traps the evil duplicates, causing them all to explode. They then gang up, disarm Dr. Light, and save Superman. Superman then crushes the amnesium, and they all make a promise to exchange their secret IDs with each other so like the, nothing like this can ever happen again. And that is the end of the Great Identity Crisis. Now, as you can might imagine, why I love this story, 
why I bought it as a back issue when I first saw it because it's Aquaman front and center. But before I get into all that, Ryan, what did you think of this story? <laughs> it's like I said beforehand, it's a whole lot of fun if you can just you know, separate your part of your brain that would just question everything. Right. Uh, I don't know if Martin Pasco was doing, Marty Pasco was doing something like a, what would, you know, uh, Zany Haney do at this moment? WWBHD. Exactly. There are so many weird left turns in this book. Um, it actually, for when it came out, I think this issue came out in like 1975, is yep, that right? Yep, 1975. This felt like something that was probably... It felt like a book that would have come out a decade earlier than that. Uh, and I know they do make a point of saying that, you know, it's sort of an untold tale from the JLA right. casebook. But this felt like it would have been something from a Gardner Fox, Mike Sikowski era. You know, like the only thing separating it was the fact that Green Arrow was in his redesigned costume. If not for right. that, I would have thought that this had totally been one of their early adventures because it just had that Silver Age wackiness. This doesn't feel Bronze Age to me. This feels very Silver Age to me. Um, but. I mean, I like it. I mean, okay, Dr. Light, how many schemes does he have? How, com- how <laughs> intricate and complicated? And none of them involve rape, which is fantastic. <laughs> well, actually, that was going to be my thing. It was a good thing that there weren't any women in this comic book. <laughs> it's, all, it's all male members, which, whew, okay. But, yeah, it's – why is this plan so complicated? Like, first of all, if you have – if you can infiltrate – the Fortress of Solitude in the guise of a giant ice monster, because that's how light works as holograms. If you can fool the superheroes and get into the Fortress of Solitude, and you have access to something called amnesium, he just decides that he's going to scramble their memories, hoping that they fall into death traps in their day-to-day lives? (laughs) Like, really? You're a doctor. You should be smarter than that. I assume that's an honorarium. It's not a real real MD. (laughs) <laughs> I love it when uh, they said when when Doctor Doctor Light we follow all the various people back to their normal identities. Now Bruce Wayne shows up where Green Arrow lives. Now of course because he thinks he's Oliver Queen, so he shows up and this is the point where Oliver Queen was broke. So nope. so he shows up as Bruce Wayne and he runs into Green Arrow's pal Andy and I love this. Andy sees him and he goes, "Who are you, creep?" And Bruce Wayne says, don't you recognize your own neighbor, Ollie Queen? And the kid goes, no, because you ain't him. But I know you, Bruce Wayne, that fat cat millionaire from Gotham. Well, here's what I think of Slummers. And he just starts kicking the crap out of Bruce Wayne. Because <laughs> that's what you would do if you saw a rich guy in your neighborhood. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, no, it's – there. there's a whole lot of like about – I once we get into the, sort of the action towards the end – I, I do – I love how Aquaman takes charge. I mean this isn't a story that showcases Aquaman's – I mean he uses his marine telepathy kind of once, but most of the time he's just being in charge. He's just mm-hmm, taking charge. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the one guy who can see through this scheme and he's acting like kind of a normal leader and it's, it's good. Uh, I love the fact that um, Dr. Light uses the light to actually create like sort of hard light – ghost images of the flash that if they actually catch up to him they'll explode and that creates a real danger i like that aspect of his powers and i like how they foil it that aquaman holds up superman's cape in front of the doorway and barry is able to phase through it and the other images can't do it and they explode when they hit the cape but of Mm -hmm. course the cape is impervious so that was my favorite kind of like stunt my favorite moment in the whole issue um 
It's it's amazing when you think when you go look back at the story. I mean, I read that was a long plot description. I felt like I read that was all of eighteen pages. This story is only eighteen pages, and the the final sequence, like you just talked about, the entire like sort of conclusion starts on page ten. Yeah. So all like Doctor Light's plan is actually foiled fairly quickly. I mean, in, in all of eight pages. I mean, one page is the splash, and then by page nine, the the the, the ending has already started kicking into gear. So it's it's paced very unusually. There's oh yeah, there's backup plan upon backup plan. There's all these weird chases. It feels like it goes through multiple twists. Like every page has some weird new twist to the plan. That's I can't explain it. But. I, I like the way that Martin Pesco he layers in the thing that you mentioned about Aquaman being the hero, and and of course that's the reason I bought this when I was a kid because mm-hmm. it was like that cover. But on pa- on page two, after they dis- uh, sub- uh, subdue the ice creature. Aquaman remarks, uh, I've been about as helpful here as a beach whale. <laughs> and, and then Adam throws in, when you're my size fish face, you get used to it. Which, you know, when I, reading earlier issues of, of JLA, Aquaman would just have that line of dialogue and then would do nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, I mean, I said, Pesco's layering in this whole nice, like, hey, wait a minute. No, Aquaman's actually going to take charge here and do a whole thing, which is, again, it's just fantastic. I, the first comic shop I ever uh, shopped at, the, the first dedicated store was called El Dorado. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had X number of dollars to spend, contrary to, to Frank's uh, characterization of me. I was not Richie Rich. So I had, you know, only a certain amount of money to spend. And I was, I, I, you know, they had thousands and thousands of back issues. And it was like a wonderland because I'd never seen this kind of stuff before. Mm-hmm. So I was buying the cheapest comics I could find. And so JLA, of course, was the title I loved the most. And so this was going through. And this was just one of the I, – I'm sure that I probably bought the cheapest copy of this I could find because, again, having Aquaman on the cover, I, because obviously he didn't die because this was an older issue. But I knew that you know, the story was going to be around him, and I was just so excited. And yeah. like I said, it just remains one of my favorites just because, like I said, the plot is absurd. It is very Bob Haney. Aquaman showing up to meet Hal Jordan in his shades and pencil-thin mustache – it's fantastic. He looks like a porn star or something. I just absolutely <laughs> love it. I mean, it just it is. It is now that you say it. It is a very silver agey story. It just has that feel to it. It's just there's very little characterization, and it's all just action, action, action. And the and I kind of grew up with it, and I'm sure it probably was my attitude for a time. But the argument that Aquaman doesn't belong on the Justice League because he's useless most of the time because of his powers. I never bought that, and I think that the people who would make that argument just fundamentally are missing something true about the Justice League. And growing up when I did, like, reading mostly comics from the 90s, mid-90s, and even the, the later 80s, the team books that I was exposed to when I was first getting into it, it was the X-Men, and it was all of the derivative X-Men books that came out of Image. And they were all very cookie-cutter and formulaic. You had your leader, you had your guy who shot energy blasts, you had your guy with claws, who was some sort of, like, you had your girl who was like a ninja, you had your guy who was larger than life and, like, was the big brute bruiser guy. I mean, it was it was true of X-Men, it was true of Wildcats, Cyberforce, Stormwatch, all the Image team books were like that. <laughs> all those names. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. Well, this was what I was reading at first, but and and you kind of knew. It's like, well, okay, this team has that guy. He fits in that function. When I started reading the Justice League, I realized that no, that's not the way they work. It's very inclusive. If you're a good person, you can be on the team. <laughs> because Green Arrow, does he really bring something to the team that Wonder Woman and Batman don't bring? I'm pretty sure they're both pretty good with a bow and arrow. Right, right. And, and okay, Flash is the fastest man on earth. Superman's pretty fast too. And, like, do you need all of these guys? Do they really 
are they're not specialists in these particular areas. But that's not the point of the Justice League. They welcome new people who are good at saving people. And if Aquaman can save people, that's what he's going to do. And that's why I've always liked. I've always had. A, I've always thought that he deserves to be one of the members of the team. So absolutely, yeah. I always felt that way ever since I was a kid. You know, and and except I thought it was great that. When the writers made the made the effort, and even the Adam gets a little something. He's yeah, the, absolutely. He's the one who ends up knocking Doctor Light out in the end by hitting him in the tranquilizing him in the back of the head. I, I love that he shoots a tranquilizer into his skull, yeah. which is which is pretty great. Uh, and this, the story does do one of my favorite tricks, which is uh, the Adam rides on one of Green Arrow's arrows. Yes, that's like one of my favorite visual gags. I love that cover of Avengers with Ant Man sitting on Hawkeye's oh, arrow. Tip. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, great I cannot wait to see that moment. If they played do that, out yeah, in Civil War. It's either going to be in Civil War or it's going to be Infinity War. It's going to be in one of them. Um, but yeah, I, I like that we see a, a variation of that with the Atom riding on top of Green Arrow's uh, his bow too. So yeah, uh, we should talk just a little bit briefly about the artwork too. I mean, we all know uh, Dick Dillon and Frank McLaughlin. I mean, just in the previous episode of the show, uh, our guest Zoom Zoom Yukinori, uh talked about how much he loved Dick, Dick Dillon, and I certainly do. And this, I mean, Dick Dillon was not flashy. Uh, there wasn't anything about his stuff that really jumped out at you. It was like, wow, that's a really amazing moment. But he was just really sturdy and dependable, which, again, you know, sometimes can meant to be sort of meant, you know, kind of like a backhanded insult, you know, backhanded compliment, actually, is the right phrase. No, the way I think about it, and I hope this comes across as a compliment because I genuinely mean it, is I think of Dick Dillon as like the Oliver Platt of comic book artists. <laughs> he's not flashy, and he's probably never going to win an award, but every time I see his name associated with a piece, I get excited. Oh, I know yeah, I love, like Oliver, I love Oliver I love Oliver Platt. Platt. Yeah. I like him in everything. And that's kind of how I feel about Dick Dillon, too. Whenever I see his name on something, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. I love the way he draws some of the characters. I really I really like the way he draws Superman in a lot of pieces. Not, I think there are a couple times in this issue where his Green Lantern looks a little bit off-model. His face is kind of weird. Like, the, the mask maybe looks a little bit too sinister. He looks more like the Earth-3 uh, yeah, evil the version of Green one, Lantern. Yeah, the pointy mask, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> other than that, yeah, it's, yeah I'm, I'm always a fan of Dick Dillon. And I think I, w- I was anticipating, you know, heaping praise on him. And then last episode, Sumu Kanori said pretty much everything I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Dick crams in a lot of stuff. And, you know, again, I love the uh, the, the panels of, of Aquaman holding the, the ghost things inside the cape is really yep. fun to look at. And then the, the shot of Flash vibrating through the wall. And then on the very last page, just the top panel, there's a very long panel. You just see the cape containing the explosion. And it's stretching all the way across the room as Aquaman and Flash are laying on the side. It's just, it's again, he was just really a wonderful visual storyteller. And yep. the perfect guy for these kinds of stories. Because, you know, again, if you handed this to somebody of a more art, kind of artsy nature, I think they would ruin it. This, this thing has to move along at this amazing pace. And you, you can't... You, Every panel has to be wonderfully clear and right. give exactly what you're trying to find out because otherwise you'd get lost because there's just so much going on. So Dylan was just perfect for that. And, you know, as a big old nerd and growing up, I love the last shot of the JLAers all holding hands. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. I, uh, again, you buy the premise, you buy the it's, – it's silly, but it's – yeah, I love it. They're, but they're all holding hands. But it's, it's funny because – 
like they're not channeling anything. They're not doing any sort of ritual or seance. No, they're, just they're just kind of making a sacred vow to exchange yeah, their identities. Yeah. But six of them are standing in a circle holding hands. But the Adam is there too, and he's not holding anybody's hand. He's sitting on Flash's shoulder. Like, <laughs> why doesn't he have to be holding hands with somebody? Like, like, I would I would have liked to have seen the follow-up to the story where they'd explain to the other members who weren't here that they have to reveal their identities. Like, oh, hey, by the way, guys. Uh, I'd say it's hard to peg down exactly when the story takes place because it is Green Arrow in his new uniform, which makes right. it post it has Justice to be after seventy-five. Right, has to be after number seventy-five, which means Black Canary is a member, right? But she's not here, and neither is Hawkman or uh, actually that's that's it really. Those are the only two members that are missing because Wonder Woman was not a member of the team, uh, and Elongated Man, Man would have been on the team by now. No, not well. I guess it depends. He was in the previous issues. He was in the Adam Strange one, right? But this is a, this is, takes place. Oh, that's right. Those. That's right. This takes place. So yeah, this, yep. this place to like sometime after seventy five, but not sure at what point after that. So actually, it's only Hawkman and Canary are missing. But uh, yeah, I just, I just, there's something so square about them all holding hands and just being like a bunch of buddies. I just, I, <laughs> so I think I want to see the eighteenth or nineteenth page, and the next panel is when. Uh, Black Canary and Hawkman walk in carrying groceries, <laughs> and the guys have to quickly drop their hands and act like they were touching. <laughs> oh, well, okay, right. we're here to rebuild Superman's Fortress of Plus, the, the whole thing opens up with, like, the casebook. Like, it's a mm. book. I used to love that stuff. Yeah. I used to love this, the literal drawing of the casebook. I, I just, I got such a kick out of that. Just, just you know. Uh, although, in the, on the opening page, Adam is flying. I'm not sure exactly how he's doing that, but. Maybe somebody called him. Yes, he placed a phone call and they threw out the other side of the phone or something. I'm not exactly sure how that's happening, but you don't want to question it. I think he fell off of Superman. There you go. All right, I'll, I'll buy that. That's the, fine. The next panel is him just like crushing <laughs> him. Falling into the snow. Yeah, the rest of them fight the creature. So I think that's good. Is that it? Do we have anything else to say about this comic? It's just super fun. It's just super Silver Age slash Bronze Age fun. Yeah, it really does. And it, it, if anything else, it goes to show the one important lesson that you don't need girls on super teams, that they just drag everything down. <laughs> and with that, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Firewater Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to email the show, it's firewaterpodcast.net. You can find all our shows over at fireandwaterpodcast.com, our brand new network site, which we're all very, very excited about. Of course, Ryan is part of. Uh, you and oh, and you can uh, we have the Twitter feed, which is FW Podcasts. So if you want to communicate communicate with us through there, use the Twitter feed. Ryan, where else can people find you on the internet? Uh, my three major podcasts are all part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Yeah, that would be the Secret Origins Podcast, Give Me Those Star Wars, and Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna Podcast. Very cool. Very cool. Very exciting. So, again, it's wonderful having you as part of the network. I love having all those shows, all like something new every day to look at on the site. I'm just like, just as a fan of like everybody else's shows, it's very exciting. I really enjoy it. It really is. I'm proud of everything that we've been doing. Well, wait till you get to my other show. I don't think you won't be saying that, but that, that's for another time. So anyway, uh, Ryan, again, thank you very much for, for, for subbing for Shag. I really appreciate it. This was one of these comics. It was like I've always wanted to talk about it because it's Aquaman-centric, but I just we just never got around to it, and so I thought this would be the perfect time. So thank you for, for joining me. Thank you for asking. I had a great time. All right. Also, everybody, well, thanks so much for listening. Until next week, uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. The Justice League of America, the combined might and power of the Man of Steel and the Cosmic Crusader, the Winged Avenger and the King of the Sea, the Tiny Titans and the Scarlet Streak. 
all working together for good against evil as the Justice League of America.